Hey everyone, welcome back to the DevOps Lab on the On-Prem to the Cloud series. This week, security with Dean Bryan. It's important and easier than you think. Don't miss it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the DevOps Lab, the on-prem to the cloud series. This week, I am joined by Dean Bryan to talk about security. Dean, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Damien. Really great to be here. So one question that people might be asking is, uh, we are in the cloud now, so don't we need to not worry about security anymore? Isn't that handled by Microsoft? It's not our servers. So what are we worried about? That would be really nice, wouldn't it? If you could just <laughs> chuck everything up into the cloud and not have to worry about security. I could retire. I wouldn't need to have a job anymore, <laughs> worry about security. Um, yeah. But unfortunately not. Um, people may have heard of this, right? We have this shared responsibility model. So sure, like it's a massive bonus. A lot of the security that you would have worried about in the cloud, uh, it, sorry, on-premises, you don't have to worry about in the cloud. Things like the physical data center, the physical security, um, and some other heavy lifting that isn't security related too, like cabling and racking and stacking, which I'm sure we've both done plenty of in the past. Um, <laughs> And then there's even some more benefits in some of the previous episodes when we moved from infrastructure as a service to platform as a service, right? And the cloud provider takes on a little bit more responsibility from us um, or from you as customers. And so there is some benefit from a security perspective, perspective to moving to the cloud. But the one thing that people often get wrong is that assumption that you just said, right? And we joked about there was that people think they don't have to worry about security at all, um, but they really do have to worry about security of their application code, of their in the configuration of their cloud environment. Uh, and it's quite a, a common pitfall that people fall under. So yeah, we certainly need to worry about security in the cloud. Uh, we do need to worry about that. Right. And so, I mean, what kinds of things, you touched on a couple there, um, you know, the application configuration and things like that. Obviously, that's, a, that's an important part, but um, where does that line stop? Or where, how can we find that out? So we do publish a shared responsibility model based on the different services that you uh, consume. It's kind of like it goes upwards like that. The more you start using platform as a service and tools like serverless, you need to worry a little bit less. Um, but as a general rule of thumb, as a customer, you're always responsible for your application code, your data, uh, and your cloud configuration, the configuration of the services, and the identity as well, right? They are giving your users access and permissions, which... Uh, if we read the news, is often how data gets breached and people get um, get exposed. Yeah, absolutely. So if we if we've gone through this process, we've got our code automatically getting deployed to the cloud, or you know, it's it's in the cloud now. We've got all that stuff there. Do we can we just apply security policies and stuff to it? Like, what's the what's the recommended approach for for getting this stuff happening? So there's there's some stuff that we can do there around securing policies. And there was an episode, a previous episode of on prem to the cloud, where Stephen showed. Azure policy and how we can define specific controls where stuff can be denied, right? We're not even allowed to deploy anything unless they meet certain criteria. But yep. there's different stages, as we all know, to the development lifecycle, right? As we move along, we're talking about DevOps. We go from writing our code to building our code and testing our code and shipping our application and not just our code, but our infrastructure as well. And if you've been watching this series, hopefully you're doing your infrastructure as code as well, right? Um, yep. And we speak about DevOps and there's a, the term DevSecOps, which is often thrown around and people say, like, like what, is, what is DevSecOps? What is that? Um, yeah. And to me, really, that's just about 
the title here is like not having security as an afterthought, which is implementing security at every single stage of your software development lifecycle, right? Uh, yeah. And the best place to do that is as early as possible. Um, there's some reasons for that. There's actually some statistics around that. I don't have the statistics to hand, but in the, as a general rule of thumb, the cost of breach is significantly increased the further right we get in our software development lifecycle. If I perhaps out there in production and there's a breach, uh, or there's a vulnerability, then we're potentially going to get breached. Then obviously the cost is huge, right? There's reputational risk, there's real customer data involved. But if we can catch that vulnerability as our developer commits it into source control, then obviously the cost there is going to be significantly less, right? Yeah, definitely. And and that kind of tracks with just code in general, right? If you if you can pick a bug up before you even commit your code, like that's orders of magnitude cheaper than the bug in production. It's just yeah, like security is another part of the application. Exactly. And I like to look at it from a, a slightly different perspective. So yeah, 100%, we should do everything as far left as possible. And we, if we can catch it earlier, it's cheaper. But sometimes when people do DevSecOps, all they mention is pushing left. So today, I want to talk a bit about pushing left. We're going to look, I'll show some demos and stuff in a moment. But I also want to spend some time looking at when our application is in the cloud, because there will be still be stuff that falls through the net. So we can't just say, oh, I've pushed left. I don't need to worry about everything on the right. We really need to worry about that because if it does happen there, the cost is going to be uh, orders of magnitude higher, right? Okay, so uh, let's have a look at what that looks like. You mentioned shifting left. Um, why don't you show us what that actually looks like in practice? Yeah, so definitely, I'd love to show that. I've got a demo here. So I forked your repository, uh, Damien, here from the on-prem to the cloud. So obviously everything's secure, right? We don't need to worry about it, but- No, uh, no vulnerabilities, it's perfect code. It's all perfect. So we're about to find out. So let's add some security. <laughs> functionality to this repo. And I mean, realistically, short of the developer finding something through their editor or their IDE, that as they commit it into source control is probably the furthest left and the best place to identify vulnerabilities, right? So last year around the Microsoft Build Conference, uh, GitHub and GitHub Satellite, GitHub announced some security features for uh, their repositories in GitHub. And I'm just gonna show you literally how easy it is to just add some security checks to our repo that we don't have today. So I can just click on the security tab here uh, and it gives me a couple of options here. So first I can set up a security policy. We're not gonna look at that today, but I encourage people to do that. That's telling people how they can submit vulnerabilities to you for your repository here, if they were to find something. Um, the second one is security advisories. You can create security advisories on your code and let your customers and the people that consume your code, say you're building an open source project, for example, um, if there are any security advisories for a particular release or version of your code. Um, but what I want to look at today is some tools called um, Dependabot and CodeQL. So we'll start with Dependabot. So I can just click here and click Enable Dependabot Alerts. And what Dependabot does is it looks at the dependencies in our code. Um, and first of all, it builds a dependency graph. It looks at the nested dependencies as well. And it will look to see if there are any known vulnerabilities in those dependencies. So I can just go ahead and enable the dependency graph here. Um, I can also say that I want to receive alerts for new vulnerabilities, so we'll go and enable that. Um, and then one really cool feature is that we want it to help us easily upgrade our packages to versions that aren't vulnerable. So we're gonna go ahead and enable that as well. Right. And that was literally how easy it was to go and update our repository to have Dependabot and start checking our dependencies, uh, our code for vulnerabilities in our dependencies. Uh, so I can just jump straight in here and click View Dependabot Alerts. 
Um, and it will find it's found one already, right? So unfortunately, uh, Damien, your code isn't <laughs> as as squeaky clean as you as you thought it was, uh, but it's yeah. not too bad, right? Uh, so we can click into this one here into boot. It's a bootstrap vulnerability, so the JavaScript package for making out the front end look nice and pretty, um, and it's telling you that there is a vulnerability in Bootstrap four, which is any version before 4.3.1. Um, looks like we've got cross-site scripting um, in some kind of part piece of the code, the tooltip or particular attributes. If you're using those particular attributes in your code, potentially there's a cross-site scripting vulnerability there. Right. So you just need to upgrade, basically. Okay. So um, and Yeah, so this is a thing that I probably would not have discovered at all. Well, obviously I didn't discover it at all, which was the fact that, a dependency that I had was using, well, yeah, I had a security vulnerability that I didn't know about. I didn't know I had to upgrade this thing. Um, so it's it's caught this before it's actually become a problem. And I, I definitely wouldn't have caught this prior to, prior to this dependable. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of, it's all the eyes and ears that are looking out for you and just trying to see what those uh, vulnerabilities are and those dependencies because like, as you know, that like, vulnerabilities are coming out every single day um, and you don't know, right? If there was a vulnerability in a version you were, using that comes out tomorrow, if you're not scanning your repositories for that, you're not going to know, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, what do I do with it? That's the next So question. it tells you here, remediation, right? Upgrade bootstrap to version 3.1 or later. And this is simple JavaScript here, right? With the package ID. But what's really cool about Dependabot, um, and bots are taking over the world or whatever, but the it's actually, you can see here, there's a new pull request that's being created. So if I click in there, we can see that Dependabot has actually gone and created a pull request saying that we should bump Bootstrap from 3.3.5 to 3.4.1. Um, and I can jump in there. It was created by Dependabot. Um, it tells me that it has no conflicts with the base branch. I can go ahead and merge um, that pull request there. So there we go. The, um, we're all done. The pull request branch can safely be deleted. We go ahead and delete the branch. And everything's good, so we don't have to um, worry about having the wrong version of Bootstrap anymore. In well, at least in my version, you may need to go and update the original one that I forked it from. Yeah, exactly, and of course, because this is just it's just a normal pull request, right? It's it's just exactly the same as if somebody else had submitted this. So yeah, it's just everything we're familiar with already, right? Yeah. So if I had a workflow that runs through my build and all my tests and things like that, I can verify that this is actually going to succeed when I merge it back into my main branch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So that's uh, that's Dependabot. Um, you mentioned CodeQL as well. Is that that's a different service? Yeah. So CodeQL is a, a code scanning tool. It enables us to code, scan our code for vulnerabilities in our actual code. So if we've written bad code that is uh, open to being vulnerable. So CodeQL is a GitHub offered service. So I click to set up code scanning here on my screen um, yeah. and I get CodeQL analysis from GitHub offered as the main one here. Um, and this actually runs as a workflow. So this runs every time we um, we have a pull request raise or whatever, it will run this as part of our um, GitHub Actions workflow. But you can also go and grab some security scans from the marketplace here as well. So we've got VeraCode and Codacy. Um, there's some interesting ones in here around um, Palo Alto Prisma is an IAC. So if people remember the episode with Zach, this was a, a, about infrastructure as code. Um, this actually scans infrastructure as code templates. So if this repository was um, ARM or Terraform or something like that, you can actually just, you'd probably set up this workflow rather than CodeQL, which is for programming languages, right? 
That's great. Yeah, really cool. So we're going to set up the code QR analysis. So I just click set up this workflow. Um, and this, if people have, haven't used GitHub Actions, it's literally giving me the YAML here for a workflow that I can go ahead and create. We'll leave the, de the default one here. It uses an auto build here. So it'll automatically try and build our code um, and scan it. Um, and I can just start commit. So create a new branch. Um, we'll call it code QL, propose a new file, and then go ahead and create that pull request. So that's gone ahead and just created a file called codeqanalysis.yaml in my workflows directory and added that as a workflow. And it will go ahead and actually just run those workflows now as part of this as part of this pull request as well. Like it's pretty meta, I guess it's running them as itself. Um, yep. But now what that means is that we've now got um, code scanning enabled and we can come back to this in a moment and we'll be able to see, um, just like we've got view dependable alerts, we'll be able to view our code scanning alerts and we'll able to see if it's found any vulnerabilities in our particular code. So these two are a pretty good example of that that idea of shifting left. Like we're not shifting all the way to the developer, you know, writing their code, but we're shifting left, um, certainly left of production, right? Um, yeah, exactly, a hundred percent. So, yeah, like this should be caught before we even get into dev, right? Or you, before before we even kick off those kind of release pipeline through our various stages, we should be able to do this straight away. Yeah, that's really cool. And I noticed as well, so I kept saying code QL, but it's really code scanning and code QL is just one of the options that's given to you. Yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah. So there's, as you saw there, where there was plenty of third party options that we could use as well. Uh, maybe if your organization already uses some kind of code scanning, you can just do that straight away. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. Um, Cool. So that's set up the pull request um, and there's a check on that pull request. And obviously if you put in more than one code scanning tool, you just have multiple um, multiple checks, I guess. On multiple workflows, yeah, as you would have work. if you created multiple workflows, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So we'll have a look at the, the results of that in a sec. I, I know it needs to run for a little bit, um, unless they're going to be ready now. I don't know. Yeah, let's see if they're ready yet. I'm not sure if they will be ready yet. It might take a little while. Yeah, we can come back to that. But we'll but generally, back. it's just going to scan, build out, run it. It has to run and build and run, build our code first. And it's just going to tell us things like if there's any kind of um, mistakes or bad practices in our code, basically. Gotcha. So, um, all right. So we've shifted left. We've, we've caught a bunch of things left. But you mentioned as well that, you know, you can't catch everything. You really want to look at what's running in production as well. I mean, this is only going to check the, the code that you have and the new code before you deploy it. If you deploy it and there's a vulnerability that comes out later on, or if there's an attack vector that somebody's taken advantage of, like we still want to know about that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mentioned that there's a responsibility of the customer to do certain security inside the cloud. And yeah. um, But the good thing is that what we provide as Microsoft is that we give you some tools that help you do that little bit that you're responsible for as well. So yep. in Azure, I'm here in the Azure portal here in another tab, and I'm using a product called Azure Security Center. And this is a what we call a cloud security posture management tool. So this is basically looking at our cloud environment and it's assessing our security posture and saying, are you secure? Are you not? Where could you be better? Um, in fact, it doesn't only support Azure. You can see at the top here that this one is, this is a particular demo environment for Security Center that I've got access to, and it's connected to some AWS accounts, some GCP projects, uh, some on-premises environments as well. So it's not just an, an Azure tool, although um, we'll be looking at some of the Azure stuff here today because that's where we've deployed our app from on-premises. Yeah. So one thing that's pretty cool um, that I really like, and people are saying to me, when I'm 
move to the cloud, what's the first thing I should do about security? Like, I don't know how security works in the cloud. How how can I go and learn about it or how can I do it? I said, well, open security center and check out what's called the secure score. So this is basically a gamifying security of your uh, your cloud environment. So you can see here that this particular environment, which is a demo account, which is purposely vulnerable, so I can demo things like this, is 69%, um, which actually isn't a bad score, to be honest. I encourage customers to keep that above 80%. That should be like at least where people are aiming for, ideally yeah. higher, obviously. Um, yeah. But we can click into this and it will start giving us recommendations of things that we can change inside our account to fix our secure score. So I can go into um, this particular subscription, the demo subscription, um, and start looking at all of the recommendations that it's giving me for wow. my the entire subscription. There's a 1,022 resources in this subscription, so there's quite a few. Um, but we can filter here by resource type. So we can tick here and we can click app service. Oh, it's not app service, it's called web application, I think it's called. We can tick that. Uh, we have a SQL database as well for the Mercury Health app, right? So we can go to SQL Server, SQL database, and then that will refill to these results based on the particular. And this is good because certain people in an organization care about certain resources. Uh, yeah. And I'll show you another trick in a minute, actually, to filter that down to something that might just be specific to you as a developer or you as an engineer or DevOps engineer. Um, so we can start looking at this and say, um, Azure Defender for SQL should be enabled in our SQL servers, right? Uh, we have no unhealthy resources there. Everything's green, which is good. Um, we've got that turned on. Uh, this one's interesting. Um, managed identity should be used in our web app, and only one of our two web applications is using managed identity. So okay. this is something that the customer's responsible for doing. So we can click into these recommendations, and we can start seeing remediation steps, right? So it says here, to create managed identity for your web app, go to the app service or API app, scroll to the setting, select identity, and it gives you us a link to some docs as well that we can go and read and understand what a managed identity is, why we should care about it. Um, and any unhealthy resources, if there was more than one here, um, they'd all be listed here. Um, so a really nice way for us to kind of see how, um, what, how we can improve that score and how we just generally improve our security posture inside our environment. Wow, that's really cool. And so it's it's telling you here how to remediate that as kind of like a go and do this and then everything's fine. But you know, that's from a DevOps perspective, right? We want to make sure that we have this kind of in our pipeline or in our infrastructure as code or something, right? Yeah. So we're on the DevOps lab, right? So we, we want to do things in a DevOps way. So yeah, hundred percent. So this is kind of the manual remediation steps for somebody that's kind of a maybe we call it like a graphical user of Azure. They're using the portal. Um, maybe they're just getting started. But yeah, of course, people should be looking at this and saying, right, I need managed identity. Let's go and look at Azure Resource Manager or Terraform or Pulumi or whatever we're using for infrastructure as code and um, update those templates to add a managed identity and assign that managed identity to our app service. Um, yeah. And not only our infrastructure as code, but our policy as code too, right? We could maybe define an Azure policy that says, every app service, uh, and I'm not actually sure if this is possible, but the kind of thing you could potentially create is every app service must have a managed identity assigned to it, right? Um, yeah. And then that would mean that that wouldn't even be, able, this wouldn't have even been able to be created, right? Because the policy would have denied it and we would have found that, again, further left in our development lifecycle. Yeah, and prevention is better than cure, right? So 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So uh, there's a ton of recommendations here. And obviously, um, if we looked at my Mercury Health, which I'm, I don't want you to do, please don't do that, um, <laughs> that we get a, a similar kind of story. Here are a lot of different things and we can evaluate which ones we think are important. Um, yeah, exactly. And there'll be things like, in fact, I know there's one in your Mercury Health because I was looking at it earlier on my version of Mercury Health in the app service was that uh, by default, actually, uh, app service doesn't mandate HTTPS. It actually opens HTTP and HTTPS. So that's a really easy fix. You can go and update and there's, you can definitely create an Azure policy that says app services must only be HTTPS. Um, yeah. And you can update your ARM templates and your infrastructure code templates to have that. Um, I think it's like HTTPS only as true as the flag on the, uh, the parameter in your infrastructure as code template. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so this is uh, there's obviously a lot to Security Center, and um, you know, I can't really demo the whole thing, but um, yeah, yeah it's a really important part, I guess, is is making sure that you're actually looking at what's going on in production, not just you know preventing stuff that you know about. Um, yeah, exactly, and yeah, it's a it's a pretty extensive tool. Um, it does some really cool things, and I encourage people to just check it out. There's a free version, there's a standard version. The standard version you pay per resource, which is managed, it's around $15 a month. It's not extremely expensive given the power that you get. Um, and when you use the premium version, you get things like Azure Defender, which includes stuff like if you're using containers and you're storing containers in container registry, you can scan those for vulnerabilities. You can do nice. SQL Server vulnerability assessments. Uh, it does things like adaptive uh, application recommendations for your servers. So that's really cool. If your servers are running um, particular applications, it will analyze what kind of calls they're making and apps are running. It will recommend policies you can define, say only these apps can be allowed to run on right. these servers. And it does the same for networking as well. It recommends network security groups based on analyzing the network and seeing uh, what kind of traffic you should be permitting if you're not using app service and you're using VNets and infrastructure as a service as well. That's very cool stuff. Um, just before we go, let's see if that iCodeQL report. Yeah, let's back. test my, let's see this. Ah, there we go. So we can go into CodeQL and it's changed to view alerts. Uh, so we can go back into there and we see that there's 41 alerts found uh, for your your code or is it Abel's code? Who are we blaming for this code? I don't know. Oh, it's definitely Abel's code. <laughs> yeah, it's Abel's code. He's not here to defend himself, so of course we'll exactly. blame Abel. Yes, exactly um, right. So some of these are a bit more technical around some of the code. It's picked up some JavaScript stuff here, and they're um, filtered here based on severity, so high, uh, medium. You can generally tell that by the the red, amber, green kind of status. Um, yeah. And here we've got this error, in, inefficient regular expression. So it tells us here that there's a regular expression that requires exponential time to match certain inputs, uh, could potentially be a perform performance bottleneck, and potentially vulnerable to denial of service attack. It looks like that it can cause exponential backtracking and string starting with slash slash zero um, and contain many repetitions of zero, zero dots. So I guess if someone was able to do that, it looks like there's some kind of recursive exponential loop or something where um, you could just DOS the system potentially by um, creating a, a massive string of zeros or something like that. I, I'm not that familiar with this vulnerability, but that kind of what we're, it sounds like would happen. Um, yeah, looks like there's some more detail here around the actual, the specific detail um, and some recommendations um, and some regular expressions that it recommends for you to to use potentially in your code to prevent this from happening in the future. That is crazy specific. Um, so <laughs> this is all about um, it's all about like the quality of your code as well, which obviously security security vulnerability or 
you know, vulnerability, um, possibly with, uh, you know, denial of service and stuff like that, but even just like the quality of your code, it's a significant thing here. Yeah, definitely looking for more than just security vulnerabilities and just making sure that people are writing good quality code. So definitely worth, um, enabling and like you like you saw right we literally just clicked a few buttons and raised the yeah. raised the pr and oh cool well thank you so much for showing us that like obviously there's a lot to this security landscape but um you know the big messages i got out of it you know try and push left as much as you can but don't forget about the stuff that's in production yeah 100 yeah hit the nail on the head there um exactly that push stuff as left as far as possible that's going to be much cheaper but that stuff in production is just as important too yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining joining me, Dean, uh, for this episode. And for everybody watching, uh, join us next time for another DevOps Lab.